0: Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. If you're using a table Bible, that is page 1016. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one
1: who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. It is true, and it is given out of his love. You may be seated. Awesome. Thanks, Stacy. Yeah, just we can't encourage you enough how important those discipleship collectives are and how great it would be if you are able to sign up for one of them. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's the we call it. It's the hub of our discipleship efforts as a church, and the purpose of a church is to make disciples, who make disciples, and so that's really the centerpiece of a lot of what we do here as a church. So, uh, yeah, um, it's great to see everyone again this morning. Um, we are doing our annual vision sermon. We try in the beginning of January every year do a, a sermon that kind of casts a vision for what we want to see God do in our midst this upcoming year. Um, and uh, when I when I first started, to, well. Let's, there, I know a young pastor that when he first started doing these vision sermons, uh, he, he may or may not have watched uh, Braveheart and Gladiator to get ready for the big epic speech, you know, like that we're going to take that hill kind of thing. Like I, I know a guy that was in that category. Um, but what, what I have found out in recent years is that when we do a vision sermon here at Missio, like the, the big rah-rah speech is not who we are. It's not, not who I am. It's not the, my gifting in any way. But instead, what we want this to be is a place where as God's people, when we gather, we can say, here's some things we think God is calling us to be in this upcoming year. And, and if we focus on these things, we will be healthier individuals who then comprise a healthier church. So um, the, the Bible talks about the, the church being the body of Christ. And if you think about a, a body, that metaphor is really helpful because your body can be healthy in some areas and then unhealthy in other areas. And it's the unhealth that always seems to dominate the health. So like, my lungs can be in, in perfect shape, but whenever I throw my back out, like, I can't move for days like, because my back, the unhealth of that one spot is, is ruining the health of another spot. And so this morning as we talk about this, this vision, what, what we're really praying is that 2020 would be a year of health for us as a church. It'd be a year that we can look back and say we've we, um, we, we pursued Jesus intentionally, and in that pursuit of Christ, we have grown healthier as individuals, but not just towards the end of being healthy individuals, but in healthy individuals that come prize members of a healthy church. That's what our goal is today. And it's that, that we would be able to experience Jesus in such a real and impactful way on a daily basis that our lives can't help but be changed. And out of that change, we can't help but love the people around us, our neighbors and friends and family and coworkers, workers and, and all of those people. And so um, what, what we're going to do this morning, what we kind of do every year for these vision sermons is we spend a little bit of time reflecting on 2019 and what, what did God show us this past year? How can we commemorate the way that he worked? in our lives and then we're going to spend a little bit of time looking forward the 2020, and saying how can we, can we plan for and, and, and best position ourselves uh, in order to be in the place where we can encounter Jesus in an impactful way. And so, we're going to do both of those things under the, this, the lens of Scripture and looking at uh, how, how uh, Jesus has shown himself in his word. And so, uh, the format this morning is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to if you're a regular attender. Normally, we do a sermon and then we spend some time discussing. This morning, we're going to uh, do some time discussing, we're going to do the, the message, and then we're going to end with some time discussing. So, it's kind of a, a discussion sandwich, someone pointed out to me earlier this morning. So, we have some questions here to get us going. Uh, and so th- those will be on your screen, if I can get them on my, my paper. So if you, as you reflect on 2019, uh, describe the instance when you most clearly saw God working in your life this last year. Okay, so think back, when, when did you most clearly see God working? And I, I want to add the caveat, uh, when God was most clearly working in your life doesn't mean it's just uh, the time you had the, the warm fuzzies. A lot of times we just, when something good happens, we're like, oh, praise God for that. But when something bad happens, we think that God was somehow absent. So God is working in our lives all the time. And so when, was it, when were you most aware of God's work in your life? Share that story with your table. Um, and then secondly, or if you can't think of a thing, think of a significant event from last year and how might you have failed to appreciate God's work in the midst of that event? okay, what, what, what is something that happened? And when you look back on it now, you say, I think God was teaching me something, and I wasn't really aware of what was happening. As we reflect on that, that's a way for us to, to process what God has taught us this last year. And then then corporately, where did you see God working in our church this past year? Where, where, if you look back, if you're a member of Missio, if you look back on 2019, how did you see God work in our church as a body this last year? So, so we'll do this for like five to seven minutes. It'll be a little bit shorter discussion. And I do want to say, if you're, if you're new to Missio, these questions can be kind of uh, challenging, right? It, it feels like you're becoming vulnerable and burying yourself in front of someone that you may not know real well, but I can promise you that you will be loved uh, really well and you'll be accepted at your table. Nothing you say is going to make us like you any less. This is a, a safe place to process what it is that, that God has been teaching us, and if you're not sure what God's been teaching you, that's a fine answer as well. We want to just process all those things together. So we'll turn inward to our table. We'll do this for five to seven minutes, and then we'll get into the study of God's Word. Thanks. All right, team, let's, let's get... Uh rocking and rollin' here. Um, I I love mornings like this where the discussion has a hard time wrapping up. It's usually a sign that we're talking about something that's significant and that we should probably uh, not just finish because the time at our tables is wrapped up. So uh, if you were in the middle of a thought there, make sure that you process that with someone, that you you don't just keep, uh, you don't leave it hanging, but you find someone that you can can share that with and and keep reflecting on what happened last year and what was God teaching you. Uh, This would be a great thing to to, uh, grab coffee with a friend or, or lunch or something and continue to process this stuff, so. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at, if you've got a, a bulletin on your way in, there, there's uh, four signs of a healthy church, four habits that should be a part of a healthy church. And the, the thesis that we're going to be working from this morning is that the signs of health in a church collectively always have to flow from habits of health and individuals uh, individually. And so if we are doing these things well as individuals, it will bear fruit and it will bubble up and, and bring forth a healthier church than if as individuals we are not. A lot of times we can think that that we're somehow separate from the church and you can be a part of a healthy church if you're an unhealthy person. Uh, and, and by the grace of God, that's true. Like, love covers a multitude of sins. In our shortcomings, the Holy Spirit brings his sanctification. But at the same time, we want to work with what uh, the Holy Spirit is doing. And we want to we be a uh, under the the means of His grace that He has provided for us to grow, and so um, yeah, so the, the four uh, things we're going to go from is just, it's going to be a, a simple uh, progression as we we go throughout the rest of this morning. Uh, just some some. Uh things to say before we get going, some caveats. Uh, these four things are, are not me coming down off the mountain with a word from the Lord saying this is what God told me we most need. Okay, rather, what has happened is over the last few months from a lot of different sources, we've seen some, some similar themes bubbling up from different places. And so this is just trying to categorize those and say, what has God been telling us collectively as a church that we need to pursue in 2020 to be a healthier church? And then that, this is the, the fruit of that. Also, um, it's, this is prescriptive. It's not exhaustive. So these four things, in order to be a true healthy church, you need more than just these four things. Okay, so there's nothing mentioning scripture in these four things we're going to talk about. Uh, and that's because if you look at our church as a body, I think we are healthier in that area than we are in some of these other areas like prayer. And so there's there's lots more things that go into being a healthy church, but these four things are, are particular items that has come up through a lot of, of prayer and discussion, feeling like the, these are, are key needs for us as a church. If we lean into these things, it'll produce uh, greater fruit in a lot of other areas. And the last thing is we're going to talk a lot about some spiritual disciplines, some habits of a healthy soul today. And whenever you talk about habits or disciplines, it's, it's always tempting for us to translate that into these are the things I do in order to make God love me more okay and, and that, that's legalism that is a, a false gospel that is not what the scripture teaches so when we talk about these things make sure that you are are hearing these as uh, habits of grace or 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 um, uh, disciplines of grace things that that put you in the way of the means of grace that god has given you and so uh, one just so you guys know where we're getting a lot of this from I, I read a book this last year called the common rule by justin uh, Whitmull early and it was the most impactful book i read this year and I, i'm really hoping that a lot of the the things that he talks about in there will be worked into the dna of our church and it's, it's particularly in some of these habits that we're going to be discussing this morning as we get going. So uh, without further ado, let's just let's start. Uh, the, the first habit we want to talk about or the first sign of health is a, a, a biblical church, a healthy church, will worship authentically. Okay, as, a, as a healthy church, we will be worshipers who worship Jesus in authenticity. And so the challenge with that is if, if God calls us to worship him authentically, it means that inauthentic worship is a real thing. Okay, there, there is a danger that we can show up to church on a Sunday morning and just go through the motions. We can be playing church, we can be doing religious things, but not actually connecting our hearts in genuine worship to what Jesus is teaching us. So we talked about this before. I've used this illustration a lot. When our kids were younger, they used to play restaurants where they would gnaw on rubber hamburgers and, and eat plastic carrots. And when you play restaurant with plastic carrots and rubber hamburgers, it does not nourish your soul in any way. And the unfortunate thing is a lot of American Christians, we've gotten into this habit of only playing church. We show up, we go through the motions, we stand when we're told to stand, we sit when we're told to sit, we listen, and then we get up and leave, and we did not encounter Jesus in any impactful way the entire time we were there. And so I think this is a danger for all of us as American Christians, but it's something this year that we really want to continue to lean into and say, how are we worshiping Jesus authentically? What does that look like? And here's the danger of that. We see in in Hosea chapter 6, in verse 4, God says through the prophet Hosea, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by my prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So so the prophet is condemning the people of Israel, saying that that their love vanishes like a a mist in the wind. Okay, like an early morning mist. As soon as the sun hits it and the breeze picks up, it's gone. He's saying that your love for God is so inauthentic that anything that comes up, it just dissipates right away. Okay, and so what God is telling them is, is you're doing the right things, right? Like he desires love and not sacrifice. The reason he's saying that to Israel is because Israel was still continuing the practice of sacrifices at this point. They were going to church. They were doing religious things, but their heart was not in it. They didn't have a genuine love for Jesus. That, that's uh, picked up in 2 Timothy 3, and we studied this a few weeks ago, where he says that, that these people, these, these people who aren't genuine followers of Christ, have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Okay, and, and that, that is a picture of what we can all fall into so easily. We appear to be doing godly things. We look religious. Our coworkers would know us as the person who goes to church, those kinds of things. We pray before meals. We do all these things. We have the appearance of godliness. But the power of the gospel is not rooted in our hearts. Okay, I, heard, I heard one commentator call this the, the hollow shell of religion. It's like a barren fruit tree, the painting of bread, a dry well, or rainless clouds. Okay, all of those things—a you know, barren fruit tree or a painting It looks like the real thing, but when you get closer to it, you see that there's no actual power or substance behind what it is. And so, this this is a, 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 a cataclysmic problem in our culture. And that's why, if you look at all the data and studies that comes out, there's a, there's the rise of this new uh, uh, group of people on surveys called the nuns. N-O-N-E. Not not. Catholic nuns, but like a a nuns, N-O-N-E, and these nuns are people that when they look at a religious survey, they say, I don't have any religious affiliation, okay, there there is nothing, there is no denomination or religion or anything religious that I am connected with at all, I I have no religious affiliation, And, and the reason that that happens is because when parents in one generation just assume religion, they just go through the motions but their heart is not in it, the inevitable result is it is completely lost on the next generation. The reason a lot of us don't see our faith as significant is because we have been inoculated to the gospel. And we have gone through so many religious uh, situations. We've gone through religious ceremonies. And we've gotten just enough of the gospel that we're now immune to the truth of Jesus. It's, it's like getting a measles vaccine where you get just enough of the measles where you're no longer uh, in danger of getting it. And we've gotten just enough of the gospel, just enough of church, that our hearts are hard and callous. And we're now inoculated or immune to what Jesus is telling us through his word. But, but, and into all of that, we have this invitation from Jesus. In John 4, he says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. That that phrase, spirit and truth, it's referring to our spirits, the, our hearts, the depth of our being, and we're called to worship God in truth. So in, in reality, the, the true God as he really is. So it's an authentic worship flowing from our hearts that is tied to a genuine person a genuine deity a genuine god who is is real and authentic and so it's our authentic heart connecting with the one true god is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth and so that's when you see god for who he is you can't help but overflow with authentic worship if you have really seen your need for him and the beauty of who he is then you say like the psalmist does in psalm 73 whom have i in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that i desire besides you Look at that. Nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God in the strength of my heart is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We are, we are feasting on God when we come to him in, in authentic worship. When we're doing it genuinely, we are feasting on him. So, so as opposed to kids playing restaurant, it's like the way my wife makes a, a Christmas feast every year. The, the best part of Christmas in our home is when my wife bakes up this, this huge beef tenderloin. She does twice-baked potatoes, the most amazing homemade macaroni and cheese you've ever had, and some green beans just because it's green. and it makes you feel healthy. Then you wash it all down with a 16-year-old bottle of scotch, and it just feels like God is present with you in a really authentic way. But like that, the substance of that, like it, it, when we fail to worship Jesus genuinely, it's like this feast has been set out in front of us. You have this beef tenderloin there and you're saying, no, I'm okay. I just had a rubber hamburger before I came. Okay, I don't need that in my life. Okay, when, we, when you see Jesus for who he really is, you cannot help but respond to him in worship. And so what, so what are some habits we can do to help position ourselves to worship God authentically? There's two I want to point out. One is that the weekly habit of fasting Okay, the weekly practice of fasting. So fasting is when you, you give up food or some other thing, a daily part of your life, because you're reminding your heart that your heart is misaligned. And then you think you need food, but in reality, what you need more than anything else in the universe is more of Jesus. And so when you, when you take a 24-hour fast from food, that's something that reminds your heart of your desperate need for Jesus. It reorients things. Another habit we can do is we can curate the amount of media that we consume. So most of us, it's like anytime we're anywhere, we're either on our phones, we're, we're turning the TV on, we're on the internet, we're watching Netflix, we're, we're watching shows, all these things, and we have this constant bombardment of media from all these different sources, and we never even think about how much we're consuming from, from those other sources. So by, by curating your media, what, what we mean is, is limiting the amount of consumption that you're doing from these other sources, and you're, you're putting a break on all the things that come into your life so you can be still long enough to, to appreciate who God is, so you can, you can hear Jesus speaking, to you through his word, and you can shut out the voices of the world. That, that's, those are some things of what it, how we could help uh, practice authentic worship more, more commonly as individuals. And if, if we do that as individuals, the corporate result for us as a church is that we would have a place that worships authentically on a weekly basis. Okay, that means when we come into the call to worship, we're, we're not just thinking about the fight we had with our, our spouse on the drive here, but we're, we're focusing on Jesus and how his grace covers that fight that we just had. Okay, when, when we pray, we're engaging it in the service. We're, we're actually singing in the service because we can't help but, but sing forth from our hearts an amazing um, uh, gratitude for what God has done for us. All of those things are signs of authentic worship, and those only happen when, as individuals, we are pursuing Jesus in authenticity. That's the, that's the first goal. The second sign of health for a, a, a healthy church is a church that prays dependently. So, okay, we pray in dependence on Jesus. So I think there's, there's two reasons why we fail to pray. A lot of times it's a lack of relationship. So be, Because we have not worshiped Jesus authentically, we don't have the relationship where it makes sense to have a conversation with anyone. Okay, we, we, we don't understand the importance of talking to God because we don't have a genuine relationship with him. Another challenge to prayer is that we, uh, if, um, we are depending on ourselves instead of depending on God okay prayer at uh, dependent prayer uh when we lack prayer it's a sign of our failure to understand how much we need god to intervene in our life so let's talk about that first challenge the challenge of a lack of a relationship um i heard um um eugene peterson say once in a book that a lot of times when we, we approach prayer like it's this afterthought where we just say okay the meeting's about to get started uh, uh joe can you say a quick prayer to get us started can you just get good going just say a quick prayer And he's saying, do we understand what we're doing there? Prayer is communing with the sovereign God of the universe who created all things, who lovingly sent his son to die in our place for our sins and has the power to defeat sin and death three days later, rising again. Uh, And we're just going to say a quick prayer. We're just going to quickly go chat with that guy before we get our meeting started. It'd be, it'd be like when I'm officiating a wedding if I said, "I am really looking forward to the dancing after this." So we're just going to quickly say some vows and then we're going to move on to the real party, the the dancing afterwards. Okay, that, that's, that's so irreverent to that couple to say that what's happening between these people is less significant than me going to dance later on. Okay, and especially if you see me dance, you know that's that's, that's, the, that's the big joke right there. Anyway. <laughs> But that's what we do when we, we treat prayer as a quick thing to just get through. We're, we're being irreverent. We're not understanding the magnificence of the God that we're invited to talk to. Another thing that happens with prayer, the, the challenge, is that we uh, don't really understand how dependent on God we are with prayer. So uh, Pope Keller I in New York says it this way. He says, To pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. Okay, we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. Okay, so if prayer is a sign of our dependence on God, a lack of prayer can only be the sign of a reliance on self. Okay, I'm de- when I fail to pray, it's because I'm more dependent on myself than I am dependent on God who invites me to pray. So into that, into that chaos, comes the invitation of Jesus again. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, apart from Jesus, you can, that's how dependent we are on him. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. It's not I can do some things. I can do, I can kind of do some things. It's I can do nothing worth doing at all apart from Jesus' power within me. And so if you look at how anxious we are as a culture, how much uh, antidepressants, how much anxiety pills we consume, all of these different problems that we have in our psyches, how much of that comes from this dependence on ourselves and the fact that we are trying to be God. Okay, when, when Jesus invites us in prayer to come to him, and we, we see in Philippians 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reason we lack peace as a people is because we lack prayer as followers of Christ. We need to be pursuing him in prayer. So some habits that we can do for that. Some, what are some habits we can do to, to have more prayer in our life? More, more, not just prayer, but dependent prayer, showing our dependence on Jesus. And, and the, the two we want to suggest are uh, kneeling prayer three times a day and then turning off our phone for at least an hour a day. So, okay, so kneeling prayer three times a day. That means when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you get on your knees beside your bed, you put out your hands, and you say that no matter what happens today, I have no strength on my own to do it. I am wholly and completely dependent on God to work through me for my day. Okay, then, at, then at, at my, before I take my lunch break, you get on your knees and you say, Lord, the day is already half gone and I am more than half behind already. And so I am dependent on you to work through me today. And then you end your day by kneeling by your bed and saying, Lord, I messed up a lot today. I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. But I know that your grace covers those failures, and I am dependent on you tonight, so I can go to rest knowing that you never do. Okay, that, that's what uh, dependent prayer looks like. And by, by being on our knees, that's, that seems like a, a, something you can just throw aside. But the posture, the physical posture of being on your knees is, is very biblical. There's all kinds of places in the Bible where people pray kneeling. But also what it is, it's, it's uncomfortable. Okay, it's out of the ordinary. And a lot of times we just throw away prayer by just thinking it's something we'll just get through later. But when you're on your knees and you're kind of wondering what happens if someone walks into my office and sees me, you know, what happens uh, if the kids come around the corner and see me praying like this? It feels a little uncomfortable. And that uncomfortableness is a sign of how much we, we fail to know our dependence on God. Because if, if we're kneeling before him in worship, it's a very natural posture for us to have. The other thing we want to do as we want to um, be, uh, turn off our phones uh, for an hour a day. Okay, and that, the reason that's so important is because prayer is communing with God. It's fellowshipping with God, and our phones are the biggest distractors that we have to actually communing with God. All right? We're like Gollum on Lord of the Rings, fondling the precious, saying that this is the most important thing in our lives, and we never put it down. So how many times have you been in a restaurant where you look over at a family getting ready to eat, and you're like, oh, they're praying. Nope, not praying. They're all on their phones. That's why their heads are bowed. They're, they're looking at their phones. Okay, that is so much of our posture of our life on a day-to-day basis, on an hour-to-hour basis, is we're not aware of Jesus and we're not communing with Jesus because we're spending too much time fellowshipping with our phones instead. So if you turn it off for an hour a day, it's amazing what that does to your heart. It, how many times you start to reach for it and be like, oh no, I don't have it on me right now. Right, the anxiety that comes up there is a sign of how much dependent, how dependent we are on our phones instead of praying dependently on Jesus. And so if those are the things we do as individuals, the signs of corporate health that will fl- come from that is we will be a, a praying church, not just a church that prays, to, to borrow a phrase that Jeff has used before. Uh, we, we will uh, be a, a church that where our prayer meetings are overflowing with people, and they're, they're spirit-filled and spirit-led, and we're actually communing with God when we gather to pray together as God's people. If we are a praying church, it means that when we are in church and someone is praying, we're not just passively listening to what's happening, but we're engaging it with our hearts and we're praying along with them. That we're agreeing in our spirit as they pray. And if we're a a, a praying church, we will be a place where our DCS won't just kick off with a little bit of a prayer and end with a prayer, but it'll be a genuine time of communion with God through the way that we pray as groups. And so, one of the ways we're going to try to do this is: is next month, uh, the first week of February, we're going to cancel all the DCS. so if you're in a, a discipleship collective, we're not going to meet that entire week so that we can gather as a church body one night that week and spend some time in dedicated prayer because we're saying that's how dependent we are on prayers. It's the most important thing that we can do. That's the, the second thing. The third, the third sign of a healthy church is a healthy church serves powerfully. A healthy church serves powerfully. And what I mean by that is that when you are serving, you are not serving on your own strength but you are empowered by the Holy Spirit and you are serving on the power that Christ provides, not relying on your own strength. So, so just as prayer is a sign of reliance on our own strength, a lot of times our serving and when we do things for the church and for other people, we're doing it on our own strength and our own strength is, is, is non-existent, right? That's what Jesus said in John 15, that he's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So when we try to serve on our own strength, the inevitable result of that is that we're always burned out, we're always exhausted, we're always overextended, we're always tired, and, and we completely disconnect the act of worship in serving from what it is that we're actually doing. Okay, so, so think about it this way. Think through your calendar, what's coming up this week, and how many things on your calendar do you have to do? Like what are the things that, that is an obligation that it's kind of like it's a, a drudgery to get through you're saying this is on my calendar i have to go to work but man if i could do something else i know i would okay and a lot of times we take that same approach of having to do something an obligation we approach our serving in the church the exact same way oh, I have to come to set up today, or, or, or I'm stuck in kids this morning, or, or I have to do all these things. And what happened is what began as a way of, of worshiping Jesus, we had some excitement about it. The longer we approached it as I have to do this, it became less and less worshipful and more and more of an obligation. Okay, and, and obligations, if we can kick those off, we always do. Okay? How, how many times do you have an optional meeting that you actually show up at? Most of the time we don't because if it's optional, why am I wasting my time going to that meeting? And so we treat serving Christ's body as an option that we're obliged to do, but we don't really want to do. And those things, the reason that happens is because our heart is, is trying to serve on our own strength instead of serving on the strength that Christ provides. So we see this in, in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter says, As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Okay, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So, so what this means is, is God does give us spiritual gifts. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit in special ways. But also he has given us the gift of life and breath and time and so many abilities and things that we can do. And God is saying that if every good thing comes down from heaven as a gift to you, then that means that you are, you are um, encouraged, you're, you're required by God to use, see that as a gift and use that gift as a way to serve other people, not to just consume it for yourself. He, he goes on, he says, as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So a steward is someone who doesn't own the thing but takes care of it for the person who does actually own it. Okay, you do not own your time. You are a steward of the time that God has given you on this earth, and that is a sign of his grace, God has given you his, his undeserved favor by giving you time on this earth. And he's saying that you should steward that time as a way to serve other people, to serve not only the body of Christ, but people who don't yet know him. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Okay, whoever serves by the strength that God supplies. That's, that's um, the, the same dependence as, as John 15, where he talks about him being the vine. It's also uh, in Colossians 3, where, where Paul talks about um, Christ who is your life. Okay, if Christ is our life, if he is our identity, if, if, if he is living in us, then it means that it is his power that is working through us, which is, which is um, yeah, the, the strength that God provides. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. The reason we serve other people is so God will get the glory. A lot of times when we serve someone, we're doing it because we have a Messiah complex. And we think we want to be the one to go save that person. I'm so glad that I'm here to save the day. Where if you're seeing serving as a steward of the grace God has given you, you're saying, I'm here loving you and serving you because God has given me this ability and because I'm trying to redirect your praise to Jesus and say, how glorious must Jesus be if he has allowed me to serve you in this way? Okay, so a, a healthy church will serve empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so some, what are some habits we can do to cultivate that? The first one uh, is Sabbath, and the second one is scripture before phone. So Sabbath is when you take a break for 24 hours. You cease from all productive labor so that you can remind your heart and your body that God is the one who sustains the universe, not you. And so a lot of times the reason why I am burnt out and exhausted is because I spent so much time pretending that I'm God, trying to hold things together. And when I Sabbath, when I stop answering emails and texts and, and not doing anything for one day, I say, God, you're the one who is saving people. You're the one who's holding the universe together. You're the one who is going to capture my kids' hearts. You're the one who's going to work through all of these situations that I'm so worried about. And when I Sabbath from those things, when I break from those things, it's a sign that God is God and I am not. And so when we rest in God once a day or once a week as a Sabbath, that's how we get filled up with his power and his love to then go steward that throughout the week as we serve other people. Another thing we can do, is scripture before phone. And we, we tried to practice this as a church the four weeks leading up to Christmas, saying every day in December, before you reach for your phone first thing in the morning, reach for your Bible instead. Because a lot of times we go to our phone and we think that this is where we'll find all the stuff we need to do today. This is where all of our, our calendar and our events and our texts and our emails and everything comes through. When you reach for the Bible instead, you say, the only way I'm getting genuine power is not from looking at my phone. It's from coming to God's word and seeing how we can encounter him in a very real and special way. That, that's a discipline we can do. And so if we do that, if as individuals we are, are healthy and we rest and we Sabbath and we, we always go to God's word instead of going to our phones first, that will produce a corporate health, a church that's healthy, that means every time we serve one another, we're seeing that as an act of worship. Okay, it's, it's not me having an obligation where I have to go do these things. It's I get the chance to worship Jesus by having a one-year-old sit in my lap. I, I get the chance to worship Jesus by, by getting these tables set up. And just as Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven, we're preparing a place for people to come worship Jesus. Okay, I, I am worshiping Jesus by handing out bulletins because every person that gets one of those bulletins is a, is a sojourner, someone who is, is tired and weak and then weary and need of rest, and they can come today and be welcome to know that Jesus is here in this place with them. Okay, that, that ties our service to worship because we have, we have a heart of worship uh, throughout the week as we engage these things. The last thing I want to talk about is, is uh, what it means to be a healthy church, and a healthy church is a church that dies daily. A healthy church dies daily. So this is the, the cost of discipleship. And following Jesus is always going to be costly. If following Jesus has never cost you anything, it is not the genuine Jesus that you are following. Um, so the, the problem with this is life is hard, uh, and I don't like to do hard things. Okay? I don't like to pay for things I don't have to. Um, I like to bargain shop to find a better deal or a better product somewhere else so I don't have to do the hard work. Okay? But if when we approach that with our faith, the result is we don't have a genuine faith to work from okay if you're trying to bargain shop with your uh, christianity it's not the genuine christ that you're worshiping so what happened in our culture i think if you look around is what there's this there's this great idea it's church is a place where you come and rest okay like we've said in our welcome this morning people are coming in weary and exhausted this is a very biblical concept okay jesus has come to me who are, are heavy are burdened and heavy laden and i will give you rest and we said we want church to be that place a place that you can come and rest But the problem is it doesn't take long for come and rest to be translated to come and consume. Just come and get everything done. Religious professionals will provide all of the duties for you. We'll take care of everything. You just come and consume and then leave and you got your little Jesus fix for the week. But okay, come and rest changes to come and consume, but what that produces in our hearts is why bother coming at all? Okay, if I'm just coming to consume, I can find a more enjoyable product other places. I can find a less costly product other places. And so we don't show up at our DCs doing the homework because we don't have time for that. You know, we, we, don't, we don't come to, to church expecting to uh, actually hear how we have to die to ourselves. We come wanting a, a feel-good, pump-up message where we just feel better about ourselves and go about the day. Okay, but following Jesus is always going to be costly. And so the invitation from Scripture, the words of Jesus, is death to self is the only path to life. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, he says, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay, and again, we live in a world where does not do public execution by crucifixion, and so we miss the significance of what he just said there. He said, If you're going to follow me, take up your cross, your, your instrument of torture and death, and follow me. It would be like saying, Take up your lethal injection needle and follow me. Okay, can you imagine if instead of having like a cross around your necklace, you had a lethal injection needle around your necklace to remind yourself that following Jesus is dying daily? It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. but Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Or uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, was a, a German pastor, he said it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Okay, following Jesus is coming and dying to self. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die daily. So if you're going to follow Christ, there has to be this path of death to self. And that's a costly price to pay. Okay, we, we want to hang on to our comfort. We want to hang on to our things. We don't want to die to ourselves. But Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to put him first, to die to yourself, to not live for your own glory or your own success, but put him first, unless you're willing to do that, you're not actually following Jesus. And so here's the thing. That, that sounds like a hard call, right? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to die to yourself. But Peter <laughs> heard Jesus say this call. And here's Peter's response in John 6. He says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think the reason a lot of times we're not willing to pay the price of a costly discipleship is we haven't heard the words of Jesus as the eternal life that we're actually longing for. Okay, and this gets us back to that idea of authentic worship. If you have really encountered Jesus for who he is, if you really understand how much he paid in dying for our sins, the only response is, yes, I will gladly live for you. I will gladly die to myself so that I can follow you and, and give you my whole life. And so some, what are some habits we can do to do, see this more? Uh, one meal a day with others, and then one hour of conversation with others every week. And so these are both other people-focused, community-focused, because if I'm going to die to myself, I need your help in getting there. And I think the, the opposite is also true that it's when we we spend time together sharing a meal with our our families or our roommates or our coworkers, when we share a meal together and we we, we spend that time together, we can encourage one another that dying to self and living for Christ is actually the call that we have on our lives. And also one hour of conversation a week. So finding a friend that you are so intimate with that you're able to talk with him for an hour over the phone or over coffee or over lunch, doing something where you know you can be vulnerable and honest and share the worst thing about yourself and it's gonna be okay anyway. Okay, this, the reason this is hard and what I want to encourage with this is that it be the same person every week that you talk to. That, that's what a discipleship relationship is, is it's, it's going deep with each other with those things. Because a lot of times I think what we do is we have different friends that we talk to about different things and we kind of spread out all of our confession and all of our sin and our failures so that no one has the whole story. So we feel like we're like in a spy movie and we're like, we're going to give each person just a little bit of information so that way no one can put the whole puzzle together. But unless you have someone that knows all of the details, who has all of the pieces and sees you in all of your brokenness, that's the only place where they can actually speak that gospel truth into your life that you are worse than you ever dared think, but you're also more loved and accepted than you ever imagined in the first place. So if we do those things, if we we are a place that genuinely dies to ourselves daily, then that means our our DCs will not be places of obligation where you're just going through the motions, but we will have come to these discipleship collectives ready to engage the work of Jesus in our hearts. Uh, It means that we will be a place where our relationships are not surface level. Uh, Bruce mentioned this last week, where we don't just say, how are you doing? And we expect the answer to be fine so we can move on. But the question, how are you doing, is a gateway to deeper intimacy and confession and encouragement. And will be a place where there is always room at the table for other people who need to be loved. Okay, when we don't die to ourselves, when we live for our comfort, a lot of times we want to have our own little small circle of friends and there's no room at the table. But if we die to ourselves, we are able to see how, much other, how many other people out there are hurting and broken and in need of the love of Christ. And that only happens when we put others, we put Jesus first and we die to ourselves there so all these things um these these four prayers for a healthy church um the 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 habits i've been talking about uh come from a book that book the common rule uh we have a slide there this is how this author organized all these things there's habits of of embracing stuff and habits of resisting there's daily habits and weekly habits and we're going to send out some information about how we can do these all together as a church Uh, if you want to buy the book it's a super helpful read uh, during Lent, we are going to corporately practice the discipline of three times, uh, kneeling prayer three times a day. That will be a good time for us to put that into place. But what I want to encourage you this morning to do is, is uh, when I send out this email, or it's on our website with these, all these different disciplines, is pick one of these habits, one of these means of grace, and say, I'm going to engage this practice this week so that I can encounter Jesus in a more real way. Don't try to do all eight um, I mean, uh, just pick one where you can say, this is how I'm going to encounter Jesus this upcoming week. But I want to end by just reminding us that these, these means of grace are just that. They are means of grace. Okay, grace is unmerited favor. By doing these things, we will not become better people. Okay, by doing these things, we will be more dependent on Jesus, and we will see how he can work in our hearts more and more. And, and that's, the goal of all of this is not just becoming more, health, uh, being healthier people or a healthier church. The goal of all of this is encountering Jesus more consistently in a more more authentic and worshipful way because Jesus is the only reason all this stuff is possible. Okay, the only way we can worship Jesus authentically is if we recognize that it's his sacrifice that invites us in in the first place. Hebrews 10 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Okay, the, the only reason way we will pray dependently is if we see prayer not as like a spell or a mantra that you use to trick god into doing what you want him to do but prayer is talking to your heavenly fathers talking to dead jesus started out his lord's prayer it says pray like this our father in heaven okay you are invited to come to him as his son or daughter and the only way we will serve on the, with the power of the holy spirit is if we realize that it, we're not like serfs off in some kingdom where the the distant monarch just uh, cracks the whip and makes us do stuff for him but rather we're serving alongside Jesus who came to earth to serve us by going to the cross. Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the only way we're going to die to ourselves daily is if we see that this is not our own like bootstrap sanctification. I have to pick myself up and have to die to myself and do all these things, but rather if we see uh, our discipleship as working with what God is already doing in our hearts. we're not swimming upstream because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're actually swimming downstream. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, anyone else. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Okay, it's the grace of God in you that allows you to die to yourself daily. And And by God's grace... We will not have a a dead religious service that we gather at every week, but we'll be a place that worships Jesus authentically, that prays dependently, that serves with his power, and that dies daily to ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your presence here and just the fact that we can gather and study your word and see how you have worked in so many wonderful ways. And, And as we turn back to our tables one more time this morning, I pray that it would be a place of encouragement and grace when we talk to each other. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Man, so of course, I went a little long, so we're gonna have to, we can't talk as long as I'd like at this next discussion, but um, we, have, we have two things to, to talk about. One is, uh, as you look ahead to 2020, what changes do you feel God is leading you to make for 2020 in order to be a healthier disciple of Jesus? And then how can you be, find encouragement to make those changes? Not on your own strength, how can we encourage one another so just if you're comfortable sharing something at your table do that real quick Um, and then we will spend a little time in our in prayer at our table just maybe one volunteer uh, who can can pray that our church will be these four things as we uh, go into 2020 together so uh, we'll talk for like uh, two minutes and then we'll spend a minute in prayer and then we will uh, end with a time of worship and communion thanks
0: father um you know we realize that everything in our culture War is against the kinds of disciplines that we need to pursue to, uh, to really be in love with you, to fall in love with you, um, to be all about you. And so we need your power. We need the power of your spirit working in us to convict us, to uh, show us where we, can, where we can change. We need um, the power of the fellowship that you've built here to encourage each other. We need the power of your word to convict us. We need all these things because without it, we are not going to be able to make the kinds of changes we need to make so bless us lord empower us keep our eyes open help us to see um, where we can and need to change we know that you love us we know that you shower us with grace and we thank you for all that in jesus name amen okay so um we transition into a time of communion a time of response so in response to the word we've heard today a response to the way god is leading us we can respond through worship by singing we can respond in prayer um, Jill and I will be over here, kind of over there. Um, if you want, anybody needs prayer, you can come over uh, while we're singing, and, and, and uh, we'd be happy to pray for you. You can respond by just praying at your tables, um, and we'll respond through communion. So here at Missio Day, um, we do uh, open communion, so that means if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you're not really a part of this body, you are more than welcome to participate in communion. We've got communion tables, four of them around the room, and sometime during the next three songs. When you feel it's the right time, you can get up, come and take the elements, take them back to your table, take them to a corner and pray, however you want to do that, um, you can kind of uh, manage that, and um, again, we'll have prayer over here too, but as I lead us into communion, I'd like to do a responsive reading, so um, why don't you guys just stand up actually now, and um, you guys will do, we'll all do the all parts here on the screen, I'll do the leader part, so... um, It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Without it all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Let us thank God for grace. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve that you do not repay us according to our iniquities. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Let us thank God for faith. We thank you, God, for the gift of faith. We thank you for faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits and makes him its own and no longer looks for anything apart from him. The angel said to Joseph, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves us from our sins. Salvation can not be found in anyone else. It is futile to look for any salvation elsewhere. Let's thank God for Jesus. We thank you, God, for Jesus. We thank you that we have in Jesus all that we need for our salvation. Amen.